Philippians. Let's read and step into the word of God this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you for coming to be with us, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Amen. Eddie Van Halen is one of my all-time favorite musicians. I love music. And he it was um, the guitarist, the lead guitarist for the group Van Halen. Sadly, uh, died of cancer a couple of years ago now. But um, definitely, you know, one of our finest, most brilliant musicians. He and his brother grew up in a musical family, multi-instrumentalist. I think Eddie started playing drums and Wolf and uh, Allie started playing guitar. And then they switched, I think. Anyway, they're a very musical family, fascinating family story. Well, when Eddie's then wife, Valerie Bertinelli, was a host on Saturday Night Live back, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s, Eddie went and hung out with G.E. Smith and the Saturday Night Live band and was just hanging, hanging in, the, in the band room, chilling out with other musicians. And they said, how about we, how about we write something and do something? You, you could be a surprise guest on the show. G.E. Smith tells the story. And so they did. They wrote something. And you can Google it. In fact, I had it on my, on my Facebook page. And they came up with a barn burner of a big band, guitar-driven tune for Eddie to, to show his full chops. And as G.E. Smith tells it, at dress rehearsal, it went perfectly. And then they got to where they played live that night, taped it live that night. And it went very well, except Eddie Van Halen made a mistake at the end. I think it's at the end, although it's not totally obvious where it is. I I honestly am not sure enough to say where it is. But you never know that he made the mistake he made because he gives himself so joyfully and completely to the moment musically and abandons himself to the moment. And if you're familiar with Eddie Van Halen, you know he would get that grin on his face when he would play and he would just express pure joy and smile as he played. And this was evident. Even in the midst of the mistake, it didn't rob his joy in the moment. Although I think he felt bad afterwards, apparently. He, maybe he needed a pastor to come and say, Eddie, it's okay, bro. You're okay. What robs your joy? What steals your joy? Yesterday, we went to Grace's gymnastics event uh, with Coastal Rail Gymnastics and watched her wonderfully, um, her perform wonderfully. And while I was there, so psyched to see uh, Gracie do her, do great work and was so proud of her. I began on those bleachers, as we were sitting on those hard bleachers, I began to notice parts of my body feeling a certain way. 
feeling a little fatigued. In fact, I was appreciating these chairs as I was sitting here this morning so much. I've never appreciated cushioned chairs. I haven't appreciated cushioned chairs this much in a while. Last night, I think it's safe to say that by the time we were done, myself, my brother-in-law, my, and my brother-in-law and his wife were all kind of feeling it. And my, bro- my brother-in-law's wife, who's Roman, they're both Roman Catholic, she said, yeah, sitting on those bleachers was kind of penitential. <laughs> so, cause it was so intense. It was like, oh. And it was invading my joy a little bit. Like, oh, I'm gonna move. I tried to set my, I tried to put my fleece under it. It wasn't quite working out. Even the fleece wasn't quite. And I think part of us, cause our knees are, you know, we were in the short, we were in the front bleachers. So our knees were like up on our chins or whatever, you know. Anyway, my 51-year-old body was was feeling it, and it was bodily challenging my joy in the moment. What steals your joy? What attacks your joy? We went home. Afterwards, on our way home, we went and got pizza at Mod Pizza. We all ordered pizzas so good and got home. And when I got back to the kitchen, I noticed that our kitchen trash can was overflowing with garbage as it happens in families with active lives, right? Now I was like, oh, and I'm sitting right next to it. And I was like, oh, I got to take out that garbage. I just got my, I got this pizza ready to eat. I'm so, I'm so hungry. I'm tired. I went, but I got to take the garbage out. And I found my gritting kind of stealing my joy of that moment. I'm ready to sit down for fellowship with a nice mod pizza I had to walk downstairs and take the garbage out. It was stealing my joy. What steals your joy? What steals your joy? Well, today is what's known as Gaudete Sunday in the wider church calendar. Gaudete. Everyone say that. Gaudete. It's a beautiful Latin word. And you Google that thing and you'll find that there's a sacred Christmas carol published in 1562. And it's called Gaudete. And it's a beautiful setting. Uh, I love old music, um, ancient music from the early church and translated from the Latin Gaudete means rejoice. And so the, they sing Gaudete, Gaudete, rejoice, rejoice. Here's the translation. Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. Rejoice, rejoice. Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. The time of grace has come which we have waited for, let us devotedly render him joyful songs. Rejoice, rejoice. Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. God has become man and nature is astounded. The world has been renewed by the reigning Christ. Rejoice, rejoice. Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. Now, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. It is Rejoice Sunday. We get a lot of stimuli, though, thrown at us, and not a lot of it is good news. Hard or interruptive. And the Bible clearly clearly allows us to have these struggles, too. The Bible's real that way. Read about Moses, King David, St. Paul, Peter, even Jesus, our Lord himself, all had tough days. Read the biblical story. It's all in there. Life is full of struggle. We're allowed to tell God about it. Read the Psalms for a roadmap and how to do that. And yet, here we have Paul in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Gaudete. 
So how do we get to Gaudete always? Well, there are clues for us in and around our text. Right before this text in Philippians, right before this verse, the ramp up to it, there's an issue, and it's apparently an issue with two people in the church at Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche, who had some kind of a flare-up about some kind of thing. We don't know what. We don't get any particulars. They don't agree on something. We're not told what, but it's enough for Paul to mention it. Specifically, though, Paul asked that they would be in the same mind in the Lord. That's how he responds. He says, be in the same mind in the Lord. Not necessarily getting into everything they disagree on, whether they agree on the color of the carpets or who to vote for or what kind of musical style they like. The particulars of their issue is less important than the basis of their unity. Even if you don't agree on this or that issue, you agree on the Lord, he says. And here's our first clue to getting to Gaudete. Paul names their issues, but he doesn't dwell on them. Sometimes that's half the battle. It's like he's saying, okay, you're frustrated. I understand it. Work with it. But look up. Look up. Like he pulls them by the hair. Look up. We've been talking about uh, our challenges of, of rebooting a children's ministry after years of excellent work of Vaylin and many others who helped her. And like I said, churches ebb and flow with this. It's very normal. My former church going through the same thing. Our session's been talking about this for months, and you and you heard a very exciting announcement about next next uh, our next uh, next month. And there are lots of things in churches. We all churches, all people have deficits and struggles and ups and downs, and we admit that and we work on it. We name it and we go after it, but very quickly too, we want to always remember who is at the center. We don't put our deficits or our struggles at the center. We deal with them, but we always have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves with regard to our struggles and our and our ups and downs and identified deficits in ourselves and in others and in our church, right? That we always remember that as we deal with whatever we deal with and we do, we always remember who's in the room and who's at the center. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even in the midst of perceived deficits in ourselves. In an odd way, when we get caught up in what we're not doing right or where we mess up, we become self-centered in a strange way, right? Rejoice in the Lord gets us in this pivot. Say, we remember, ah, yeah, okay, the Lord is here. Rejoice in him. And then that's what actually gives us the energy to work on our stuff. That's the pattern. So the first move in getting to Gaudete always is to pivot to the presence of Jesus who is always here and who's the true center. Some of us, I didn't grow up with this, but some of us probably grew up with parents who all they ever did was remind you of what's wrong with you, what you're doing wrong. And tragically, then people put that on to God. So God becomes like that. You know, we replicate our family patterns, what we grew up in often, we then impose that onto our theology. It, it's, we all do it in some way. Now, thankfully, I had parents where I experienced unbelievable amount of unconditional love, but every family has their, has their issues. And what part of conversion is ongoingly getting that converted in us, right? 
God is not like that parent you can never please. God loves you as you are and loves our church as it is. And it's that love and that fuel that comes from being loved unconditionally that then enables us to work. So it's important as we, as we go after our deficits in our, in our community, our deficits and issues in ourselves, our sins, that we start from a place of love and unconditional grace and rejoicing in Jesus and not getting so mired in all oh, what, what's not happening. And that, then that becomes propulsive. So that's the key to Gaugete all the time is pivoting to Jesus Christ in every moment, in every situation. It's tougher than it sounds. But in, uh, Paul shows us, even in prison, Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing this very thing. He is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And he's writing from prison. It makes it makes me like such a wimp. I'm getting upset about you know a hard bleacher seat or taking out the garbage. This guy's in chains. He's saying, rejoice, rejoice. Read through Philippians and you'll see that Paul is absolutely convinced of the reality of Jesus Christ for both his present and his future. Four four times prominently in Philippians, he he hearkens, he he gets us oriented to this Christ coming again. He's coming back. Paul believes Christ will return large and in charge and transform everything. And he lets this promise pull him forward. That's why he can say rejoice. Notice it's not rejoicing in our pain. It's not rejoicing in the bad circumstances or rejoicing that you you got somebody, you, you got a gotcha moment on somebody. No, you don't, we don't rejoice in those things. You want to be humble and, and want to be um, humble for God and before each other. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord, not in, in all circumstances in the Lord. But we don't, we don't necessarily always rejoice in the bad things. So some things are just plain bad. But even in those situations, the Lord doesn't change. His grace is a constant. Paul presses this out and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And to me, this is about, this is one of the most fascinating verses that I've come across all of scripture saying, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Greek for gentleness here is actually very difficult to translate into English, but it's the idea of giving up our rights and showing kindness and consideration to others. And notice the scope. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I have to say, in the in these crazy, polarized, vitriolic, vicious, poisonous, polarizing times in our country, I don't think enough Christians are known for gentleness. Well, what you know, this this verse is very convicting for the Christian community. I don't think let your gentleness be evident to all is a verse paramount in some of these town meetings or school board meetings or it's very disconcerting for me as a leader. You, you, you can be passionate about something and concerned about something and still be gentle. Where does he get this call to gentleness? The Lord is in the room. That's why we're gentle. The Lord is near. Now, in the immediate context, he's probably thinking of Jesus coming back any minute. So let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, uh, we're likely to give up our seat on the bus. We're more likely to give up our seat on the bus if we know we're going to get off soon anyway, right? 
So we could be getting off the bus of this earth any moment, so hold on loosely. There's, there's a, you call an eschatological, which just means end times. There's a sense of the end times perspective. You never know. There's that. There's that cosmic view of this, that the Lord's coming back, so hold on loosely. There's also, I think, that's what he means by nearness in one sense, the nearness of the Lord's return. There's also a true biblical sense in which he means the Lord's near as in physical, spiritual proximity. He's in the room. He's here present with us. The Lord is close. So you can trust him enough to have your back to let go. You can trust him enough to not have to trust your own anger or your own ability to control a situation or, or to fret. You can move in trust. Not, not Again, we said a couple weeks ago, not passivity, obedience and, and patience that trusts and that and we know the difference i think if we think about it when we move in that kind of trusting in the lord we do move more gently not that we don't move we move but we move more gently because we again we pivot off of our own strength and control control our illusion of control and we trust him if he's in control then i can be i can be both honest and gentle because I know I'm not the center and God's large and in charge. And as St. Paul says, I love Colossians 1 where it says, in him all things hold together. I think sometimes our, our, um, our overzealousness, and I'm not against passion. Passion is a positive thing, but our overzealousness and our, and our, our desire to over control and dominate is because we, We've lost the fullness of Jesus and the teaching of him. And not to condemn people here, just to say, you know, be aware of the church wider, right? We see this in the church wider. People that are, are moving with such domineering swagger that they forget who's really in charge and it isn't us. Well, I feel the proximity of my fatigue. I feel the proximity of my hunger. We feel the proximity of the hardness of wherever we may be sitting. We feel the proximity of anxiety. You know, drop your child off at a school where there was a lockdown the day before because of a threat and you will feel the proximity of your anxiety or even the proximity of your fear when you let your loved ones drive on these roads where it seems like I'm reading about someone getting killed in a car accident at least once a week, you know. There are all kinds of things to be scared of and be reactive to, not to mention reading on our Twitter feeds and letting that trip us out. But we must check ourselves before we wreck ourselves here, as always, and pivot to the presence of Jesus, who is right there in the room. And that is our focus of rejoicing. Getting to Gaudete is about realizing how close he really is. He's really that close. The Lord is near. He's with us. He's close. He's large and in charge. And without that pivot, our anxieties and our our emotions, which are built to be powerful, we're built as emotional creatures. But if we don't have that check of remembering who is in charge and being connected to Jesus, something will take over. Those emotions will. If Jesus isn't taking over, then those emotions will. And I think too often that is what's happening in the wider church. God, help us. Thankfully, he's patient. He's patient with me, with you, with everybody. He's not done with us yet. And Paul is so convinced of this reality that he says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. 
Imagine that. <laughs> that's Again, that's harder than it sounds. But he gives us a prescription. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. About, about 15 years ago, I experienced a time of extremely intense anxiety in my life. And I had a really good ther- Christian therapist, and I read, a, I read about anxiety and the history of anxiety in my family, which is probably why I have about three generations of alcoholism in my family. <laughs> People drank to numb their, you can see that right, numb their anxiety. And uh, I learned, one of the things I learned was, one of the things they tell you to do is focus on some distant point when you're having an anxiety attack. You focus on some distant point even a spot on the wall or something. And then through a series of breathing exercises, the idea is to shift your concentration from the anxiety to that point on the wall. Well, this is what Paul gives us, only it's not a point on the wall. And it's not just breathing. It's breathing prayer with Jesus. In everything... By prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. In everything, he says, by prayer and petition. You know, sometimes I hear this as a pastor that, oh, certain things, I don't want to pray about that. That's not worthy of prayer, or that's no. Anything on your mind, bring it to God in prayer. God is open to hear whatever's on your mind and heart. He's a good father. You don't have to grade whether or not you have the right to pray about this. No, pray about whatever's on your heart in everything by prayer and petition. Prayer in Greek here is prosukoi, which connotes a sense of worship, which is when we pray, and this is part of that focus releasing point, you pray worshipfully. You pray remembering God is God and we aren't. Sometimes my posture can help me with that. We've talked about this before. Sometimes laying your hands open, sometimes even kneeling, sometimes taking a walk, sometimes being silent. Whatever helps you get into a worshipful state. This is a way, again, to pivot to Jesus out of our anxieties by prayer and petition, which means you tell God. You can just bring your list to God. And it says also with thanksgiving. So we're to pray thankfully. Thank you. Always find something to thank God for. Thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that I'm standing, etc. And then again, present your request to God. We are free to bring our requests to the Lord. God wants to hear from us. as a, Not because God is um, clueless or God needs our help. Because God knows, right? Already what we need. But before we ask him, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8. But he wants to hear from you because he loves you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be connected with you. So as we tell God what we need in worshipful, thankful ways, we're, we're pivoting. And in that pivot from our anxieties and fears and lit up amygdalas and all that, we are promised the peace. The peace, what? Of us, of, of God, which transcends all understanding, which is a fancy way of saying the peace that makes no sense. You know, it makes no sense that I'm screaming in the sky and with two engines on either side of the wing and I'm at peace, but I am. It makes no sense that I'm in this or that situation and I'm at peace, but I am. Why? Not because of me, but because of God. And the language here is the peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
the uh, sense here in verse 7 is, is the, as guarding is as to surround and protect a garrison city. The Philippines, Philippians knew about that because they knew about Roman guards that kept their city protected from, from dangers, from invaders. If you fought anxiety like I have, you know it's a formidable invader. And you know you need a peace that cannot come from you, but has to come through you from God as a gift. It is there for you and me. It is there for you and me. And we're we're here to help each other find it. That peace that makes no sense. That is the way to get to Gaudete. That's the path through pivoting off of our anxieties and fears and struggles toward the Jesus who is in the room and present, who makes us gentle in our trust of him, and who fills us with that peace that is the foundation for the joy that we celebrate in his gracious invasion of the world, which we are so desperate for even every moment of our lives, now more than ever. Gaudete, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Pray knowing that he is with you and for you and will never leave you or forsake you and provides all that we need. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, Amen.